Hey everyone, this is James Mackey and welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. Join us as we cover high-level thought leadership and step-by-step guides on how to make people a competitive advantage for your organization. I'm incredibly proud to be the CEO of Secure Vision, the sponsor of this show and the number one contract recruiting, embedded recruiting, and RPO firm. A thank you to our partners, Greenhouse, the hiring operating system for people-first companies, and Gem, the all-in-one hiring solution recruiters love. Let's go! Hello, welcome to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. I'm your host, James Mackey. Very excited for today. We have two incredible guests, Aya and Daniel from Scenario. Thank you both for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thanks, James. Daniel, could you please kick us off? Could you share a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so thank you, James. I'm Daniel. I've been in cybersecurity for close to two decades in uh, both uh, research and development roles, kind of presenting at a Black Hat US a few times and a few other conferences and leading cybersecurity development in some startups where we ended up uh, reaching our current startup, which I found was my co-founder, Leon, which is focused on helping protect healthcare IoT devices from cybersecurity attacks, ransomware attacks, and so forth, and kind of trying to bring our cybersecurity experience to this interesting vertical of healthcare, which has its own cybersecurity challenges. Love it. Thank you, Daniel. And Aya, how about you? I'm over 15 years in HR and talent acquisition, currently leading the HR for Scenario in the last uh, two and a half years. Before I worked as a talent acquisition and manager and HR business partner in a company called Zerto, which was sold to HP. And before talent acquisition, recruiting in agencies and others. Love it. And so one of the things that we wanted to discuss today, Scenario is an international company. You have a presence in Israel. You also, of course, do a lot of work in the United States. And there are a lot of distinct challenges and opportunities for working in international teams. And over the years, you know, from my background too, having partnered with a lot of international companies to help them build, for instance, sales teams in the US market, go-to-market strategy can be quite difficult, not only from a strategic perspective, but from a hiring perspective and, and management perspective. So I, I think we could just start high level, but I would love to get into a little bit about how do you go when you're talking about your go-to-market strategy for the US market, where do you start? Are you initially thinking about more so tactics in terms of outreach? Or are you thinking about more so like the types of profiles that you would need to hire for the sales process? Like, how do you really start to think about your go to market strategy? So, I think we start with the problem what the problem we're trying to solve with the hiring. And in our case, we have the sales managers, which are very difficult to hire, good ones. I know that the percentage of salespeople that are hitting their numbers in a company that usually are about 30%. So you want to hit those to get to those 30% of good salespeople. But we also are in a very niche vertical, which is healthcare. So in the past, we hired people that are coming from IT security background. They didn't have the healthcare experience. And we learned over the years that this is a game changer for us because they know the market, they know the the people, they know the the channels, the partners. It's easier for them to understand what to do, who to approach. Sales cycles are different than in other companies. They're usually they're longer. Um, so this is uh, something that we are trying to profile. What's the the best candidate for the job? 
And then we usually start with either outreaches, also internal references, which works good for us. But also we rely heavily on outside recruiters because we don't have anyone in the U.S. And we know that usually those are the people that understand the market and they approach the right people and they get response, which sometimes, unfortunately, although I'm a very nice person, I don't get the same responses as they do. It's really hard to recruit talent, particularly if your primary staff is based internationally. There's a lot of reasons. Before I jump into my perspective, I'm uh, curious to hear from you, Daniel. When you think about hiring the U.S. market, it sounds like you know, particularly we're talking about sales leadership. I would love to get a little bit of your thoughts on some of the challenges and priorities that you focus on. You know, when you were first doing that for Scenario. So I think at the end of the day, we're we're still a startup. We're an agile startup. Uh, and one of the things that we want to make sure we're prioritizing with bringing people on board are people that know how to work with right that Israeli startup mentality, uh, which is being a little bit more agile, um, having innovations that's coming out at sometimes uh, record pace and trying out new things and new ideas and kind of seeing what works. So there's a lot of trying to find that match between those different mentalities and also a lot of team mentality at the end of the day. As in Israel, like the way we work, and we've heard that from a few of our U.S. employees, that they're not used to coming into our company and then being told, no, no, you should go talk to the R&D team. No, you should go talk to You should go make sure to involve as many people as you can to be successful. We really are looking for those people who are interested in that kind of team mentality and engaging the wider company. And the Israeli team, even though they're far away, put as much effort as they can to be there to help and support and do those, be agile on their feet to kind of help sure that we can get those go-to-market teams to help be successful. And sometimes it's a bit challenging to find people who know how to use those tools that we provide to those go-to-market people. And I think the last thing that's also very important is ownership, right? At the end of the day, we're still a small company. There's a lot of stuff that in a small company doesn't necessarily have the most robust processes. And we want to make sure people can come and, and take ownership of stuff that's going on and, and kind of look outside their lane and kind of help push the company to where it needs to be because again, we, we provide the support, provide the help, provide the resources, but sometimes you got to think outside of the current processes that we have and the current box that we have to be successful. Yeah, I think a, a lot of people struggle working for not only for startups, but then when you add the element of it's an international startup, particularly if it's headquartered outside of the U.S., there's a lot of reasons, but I think the adaptability piece is huge, right? You can't really put a job description together. I mean, you can say working cross-functionally, you can say doing all these types of things, but some people in terms of their, I don't know if it's their psychology or just like their wiring, their mental wiring, they have a hard time kind of moving between lines on the JD and just kind of figuring out how to mold into the the environment and adapt as it as the environment continues to to evolve. I mean, it's a, a specific skill set and like to find somebody who's just like very intellectually curious and open and proactive about solving things and doesn't really even think in terms of like structure, but it is more thinking in terms of like what's the most direct path for my answer. Like, no, I'm not going to go to Daniel or Aya, I'm going to go directly to the R&D team. Like, why am I going to create four more layers of communication just to get what I need? And somebody who doesn't feel like awkward about that or, you know, I think sometimes too, like people that come like come up in different environments, 
maybe come up in the enterprise space where there's a very rigid hierarchy and process to doing everything. Exactly. Maybe some have a hard time to pivot. I think sometimes it's that. I think sometimes it's just like more so, I don't know if personality is the right word, but you know, some people are just more comfortable with just taking the most direct path and other people feel the need to like, they're thinking about like, oh, what about the social dynamic? What about the hierarchy? What about who I report to? What about yeah. this isn't in my job description? Am I really qualified? Should I even be saying anything? Like there's like all of that. And the right person isn't going to be thinking of any of that stuff. Like <laughs> right person is just thinking like, what's the damn answer so I can get it done. Um, And and like you said, I think that's one of the challenges of, you know, having a a company that has R&D on one side, it has sales team in the US, sales team in the UK and other sales people. It's really hard to create that culture where people feel that they can not go necessarily based on the company hierarchy, right? Where they can go across, where they can feel comfortable to say things and, hey, maybe be wrong, right? I think that's it's much easier if it's people who are from the same area, from the same culture. It's much harder when the way you respond to somebody asking a question in a way that maybe shouldn't have been at, like how do you respond to that can really push people in a way that you don't want to push it, right? You want to be in a way that people feel comfortable to do that. Yeah, yeah. One of the other big things that I would say a lot of my international uh, customers over the years that we were help hiring in the US market they they really struggled sometimes with having enough structure and process, not only around the hiring process, but in terms of their employment package that they were offering to candidates. So I don't know if this is something that you all dealt with initially, but when we worked with you know a lot of companies in Israel or that were at HQ in India or UK or EU or whatever, sometimes they would tell us like, hey, we want you to go out and hire a sales leader. And we'd say, okay, well, what's your employment package look like like what's your benefits look like do you have retirement you know do you have like pto and sometimes the feedback we get is like well just ask the candidate what they want right and i think that that was something that we we'd have to try to help a lot of our customers understand like that's not effective like we can't do that because you're up against companies that have all of those things already put in place and I think too, it's like when a company is is younger and a startup, particularly that's going moving into a, a new market initially, there's not really this brand, right? It's not like they're interviewing with Google, right? Like we have to prove legitimacy and how we show up in the interview process and how well organized we are is important. It's like if we go to a, we have a big customer that we're trying to land, right? Like we need to show up prepared with a proposal with insights into how onboarding is going to work with data, with the dashboard, with whatever we need to do. Because here's the thing, right? Like if I there was like a sales leader who didn't ask me a ton of questions about like the employment package and didn't ask me a ton of questions about onboarding, like if they weren't really digging and they weren't concerned that we didn't have that data, I'd be very or I'd be very concerned too that it's not a good person. Like, is a player really going to accept an offer like when they don't know the things they need to know? So I, that was, I would say, one of the biggest blockers I've seen international companies have to getting great people on their team in the US market is just not being dialed in enough onto their hiring process and their you know benefits offering, all that kind of stuff. We have it. We are organized in that perspective. And we are always trying to check the benchmark, how we are against the other players in the market that are you know, competing on the same people that we're competing on. But we're sometimes tackling things that we are tackling first time. For instance, 
paternity leave. We're a small startup. We don't have many people, for instance, that are becoming dads in the U.S. or in Israel. So we're trying to think about uh, what what time for paternity leave as a company we're going to give this person for the first time. So these are processes that we're trying to adapt as we go. Not everything is structured, but we're trying on the benefit backhead. We're trying to be very structured. Do you use like an employer of record, like anything like yeah. Adjust Works, or yeah. we, we're working with Trinet in in the U.S. Okay. To deal in everything that is outside uh, of the U.S. Yeah, that that really helped us as like a you know a, a growing company. Yeah, we transitioned yeah. to the PEO Just Works, uh, which yeah. really helped our benefits offering and made us a lot. I mean, we didn't have a four hundred one k beforehand. We didn't have there was a, a fair amount of benefits uh, that we weren't offering just individually, but we were able to to I guess you know tap into their benefits packages, which I really I think a lot of startups, particularly international, this is actually just another good tip I suppose for Israeli based companies international is, is go the PEO route. I mean I think even companies like if you're US based and you're you know building a team in the US, go PEO. Don't even think about it to your like 150, exactly. 200 employees. It's, such, it's easy. They help you with legal stuff. They help you. If you want to hire someone or unfortunately, sometimes you have to terminate an employee, they help, yeah. they help with that as well. So, yeah. It, is, is Trinet like there? It was like Trinet and I think ADP also has a PEO, a, an employer of record. More like a payroll and benefits provider okay. um, because we do have an entity in the US. Deal is more... A PO in other uh, countries that okay. we are people. Yeah. Yeah. So what about so for Trinet is they just works pretty flexible and it, like they they have different level like levels of liability. Like I don't think just works takes on a lot of liability for us. I think maybe like some helps with some compliance, but I think Trinet's a little bit more structured, right? Where they're like you almost have to do some things a certain way in order to like yeah. be a, a customer, right? Are they pretty rigid? Yeah, but yeah, but we can, you know, we can decide on the benefits that we want to do, we want to give our employees and, and they uh, support. The only thing that sometimes I'm struggling with is to understand the benchmark because they don't, they cannot tell me what's the best thing for me to do. They say this uh. is the practice, but you know, once I, sometimes I need the advice and it's like uh, a little bit more blurry. They want to, they want to take the, the responsibility, which I get, but then. I need to understand what I need to do in specific situations. So, yeah. 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 Interesting stuff for founders, executives tuning in that are building teams in the US market, right? They're internationally based. Are there any other kind of key takeaways that you could think about, Daniel, things that they should be thinking of, holes that they could fall in <laughs> or high leverage, you know, wins? What, what, what final takeaways can we give to help people be successful moving into the US market and hiring? So, I think we kind of touched a little bit on that, right? It's kind of how do you bring your best foot forward when you're coming as a non-US company, right? To kind of talking with the US employees in that regard of like, like you mentioned, right? The same, similar to how you want to be seen very mature when you're talking to a company, you want to seem very mature when you're talking to an employee and it's doing the proper homework. So when you're coming to talk to the, to the people you want to hire, they feel that they're the right processes, whether it's kind of the, the payroll and the uh, bubble, whether it's the onboarding, whether it's the communication process that, that need to happen in place and kind of how that happens. Another thing that I think we found, uh, and actually Corona really kind of hit it home, was the importance of 
face-to-face communication. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how easy it is to be remote. You have to make sure you have face-to-face communication. I think we've even kind of made sure as part of the hiring process, even now that we do have a U.S. team, even making sure there that the U.S. team ends up meeting face-to-face as part of the hiring process. Hmm. Um, it's just it's just something that you can't skip out on and the benefits just are so significant, right? So it's something that, especially with sales team and sometimes even like, even if a sales team and you're a US company, your sales can probably be pretty diverse and spread up all over the place. Still need to make sure we get uh, that face-to-face communication and also making sure as part of that, that we ship people from Israel or from wherever we want need to have those communications to there as part of QBRs when needed or the other way around, also bringing people over here so that we can kind of have that communication. And that's really critical for building up the relationships for later. So I think the last thing is really kind of how we approach them also to begin with. Because if you just have some Israeli company reaching out of nowhere to a US candidate, it's really hard to get them to even pick up the phone or get that initial conversation going. And I think one of the big challenges you want to make sure we have is kind of how do we get that foot in the door and how do we leverage our network, the people we know, whether it's uh, high, people who help us do hiring, whether it's people that we know from other companies, whether it's uh, bringing the right people to begin with when you're starting to build your go-to-market team that can help you open up that door, whether it's uh, board members or or advisory people and kind of using all the leverage you can from all our network so that when we get that initial introduction to those candidates that we're trying to reach, they are willing to open up the, you know, pick up the phone and actually have a conversation with us because the Israeli credentials that we bring to the table that are very helpful for us for hiring in Israel, right? It could be stuff like 8,200 unit alumni or all these other different things that are very helpful in Israel and kind of building out that this is a potentially successful company. You should come and hear what we have to say. Those things don't translate as easily to uh, a global market. Unless they're Israelis candidates, they probably know us a little bit better than others. But yeah, that's that's a struggle. And I, uh, do you have any additional tips based on what Daniel said? Yeah, I think what I usually do when I um, want onboard people and during the interview as well is make sure that I see people that are you know can fit our culture, even if they're different, they maybe think differently. But I guess that they're open, that we can connect, that they can. I'm I'm a, a different HR than uh, I guess the US HR, and and I have a different perspective. This is how Israeli operates. So we want to make sure that they'll open up, they'll talk to me, they'll say what the what's on their mind, so we can do something with it, right? So this is also something that we're trying to figure out during our interview process. And during our first conversations with them, when they're hired, make sure that they can fit us, of course. Love it. So there's just a few kind of like, let's just do a quick checklist for those tuning in that you could write down as a, a takeaway. So again, it's a, a lot of it has how you you show up, as Daniel put it, like being mature. You, you really need to have a mapped out hiring process. You need to have uh, mapped out onboarding, you need to have everything mapped out in terms of like what, you know, for instance, sales leadership, what a initial quote is going to look like, your deal size, your sales process. Even if you don't have all the answers, you want to put together some kind of framework. And if you don't know how to get the framework, then talk to an advisor. If you don't have somebody on your board that's the right fit, find an advisor. 
you know, but you have to be able to show up organized and kind of prove that you're legitimate. The other thing that I would say is like showing lasting power. If you don't have any other employees in the US market, what's to say six months you don't change your mind mm-hmm. and don't want to break into the US market? It actually happens all the time. So yeah. if somebody's going to like, who's really good is going to put their faith in you to deliver, they're going to want to know that you are committed to the US market. What's the budget look like? How many people am I going to be ready to hire? When am I going to hire them? How long am I going to be in an IC role? Do I get to immediately start to build a team? What about like tech? Are you going to give me money for tech? Sales operations, revenue ops. Like, what does that look like? How often am I going to be able to speak with Daniel? Right? Are they the co-founders? I mean, like those types of communication. We're trying to to make sure that we're hiring people or it's not easy and and it takes Mm -hmm. us forever. I can, for me, it's forever. But we're trying to make sure that these, that we are, you know, we're able to hire those that are more independent. They don't need all the resources that others do, even if they come from big companies, which sometimes have uh, more resources than small startups. But Mm -hmm. the mentality is of an independent person that can, you know, can do everything like a mini CEO of their territory. Yeah, yeah, that's it's a good point. Of course, like being super independent. I, I think the last thing I would say is sometimes, again, like I hear from leaders, they'll say something like, well, we can't set the quota or we can't do it because we just don't know what it's going to be yet. Or we can't put a process or a plan in place because it can change. And what I always say is it's better to have a plan and change it than not to have a plan at all. You're going to have a lot more. And this is just like, I think, solid leadership advice too, like with employees, like it's, you can say, look, we're a startup. Things are going to evolve quickly. This might look different in six months. Here's the plan. Right. <laughs> it's like, and, and that works with Candace a lot. Cause if we just show up not having a plan saying, like, well, I don't know, it's good. <laughs> we'll see what happens. <laughs> like, you know, people are going to be like, well, I don't know about you. Like, I don't, you know, I, so I think that that's important too. It's better to have a plan and change it. Yeah. I, I really like that last point of yours. And I think it's very significant, right? If you come and you have your, you, if you're coming with a plan, right, you can't just say, oh, deal size, it's, I don't know. $100,000 a deal or whatever. Like it has to make sense with, okay, you, you, this is a plan. This is a deal size. This is how we're planning to look at the regions. This is how the people we're going to, how is that we're going to split up amongst the different uh, uh, salespeople in the team. This is, and then this is a revenue we're planning to reach by the end of the year, right? All those numbers have to add up. And like, mm-hmm. like you said, even if they end up not hitting those numbers, even if they end up going over or under, you end up splitting the regions differently. It doesn't matter, but you need to make sure that it looks like, like you've done your homework and it, it, the math checks out and what you're saying makes sense. Because that's at the end of the day what people want to see. They want to see that what you're saying makes sense and that the plan is moving forward. And also internally for yourself, you have the KPI, the metrics, the tracking of it to be able to say in a quarter or two, hey, this does not make sense at all. We have to change the plan. But you know, you had the plan there. You knew what you were trying to do. And then it's also much easier to communicate why you're changing the plan, right? You can come and say in half a year, hey, look, or in three months, whatever it is, the numbers aren't reaching what we're, we we said we would want to reach. We have to change the plan. And then people are on board for changing the plan because it makes sense, right, at the end of the day. Yeah, I mean, it should be logic-based. It should be, we're always making the best decisions based on the data that we have. Yeah. And yeah. as we collect more data, we will change our mind if we need to we will change the path if we need to there's power in changing our mind there's power in adapting and evolving it doesn't mean that we were wrong it means that well it might mean we were wrong actually let me take that back but uh, yeah so i mean it could be that we're wrong or just could be like look we had this data this is what we thought we could do but now we we've collected we've done all these deals in our pipeline or whatever it might be so we need to adjust and and 
I think people that's uh, even if it's unpredictable and that you couldn't predict the change, it's it gives people comfort in knowing that the business is being run in a predictable way. Okay, this is how we operate. We're going to review data periodically and we're going to pivot and adjust the business to that, right? But that's why you need agile people that are under that understand that you know you're here one day and then three months, maybe six months later, you're in a different place because the market is changing or there's something that has changed. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Well, Daniel and I, this has been a lot of fun. We're coming up on time, actually. It uh, flew by. I, I really wanted to say just thank you so much for coming on today and sharing your expertise with our audience. I, I really do appreciate both of you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us on. It's been fun. <laughs> thank you both. For everybody tuning in, thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you again soon. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to the Breakthrough Hiring Show. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode and gained a lot of valuable insights to help guide your talent strategy. I also want to say thank you to my team at Secure Vision for making the show possible. Secure Vision is the number one embedded recruitment provider, and we are a three-time category leader on G2. Secure Vision partners with over 150 companies to provide on-demand recruiters who specialize in either tech, revenue, or GNA. For more information, you can visit securevision.io. For more content, you can follow me on LinkedIn at James Mackey or on Twitter at James Mackey DMV. We've dropped links in the description. If you want to be on our show or have any topics you'd like for us to cover, reach out at breakthroughhiring.io. We really appreciate your support with reviews on Apple Podcasts. And lastly, make sure to tune in every Tuesday and Thursday for a new episode. See you next time.